It's great to see you all this morning. Um, we sung a few songs this morning. One of the songs we sung was, Better, Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. That's, a, that's a quite a powerful statement. That's actually a Bible verse. And so this, this idea that we, we are um, so, um, so in love with the Creator God, so, so in, uh, in relationship with the Creator God that there is nothing else in this earth, no place that we would rather be than, a, than in the courts of the Lord or or rather to know him and to have this personal relationship with him. And, it, and the psalmist says that it's actually better to have a thou, a one day here than, than give me a thousand days anywhere else. Uh, and it shows for me this great desire, this great desire to actually be with God, you know, this great desire to be with him and to know him. And that's really significant because what we desire in life, what we love in life, the things we really um, deep in our hearts have this, compa- this passion for, often are the things that begin to dictate our lives and change the way we live our lives and, and help us to make the decisions in lives that we make. And if I, you show me any person in the way they live, they live life, you show me any person and how, how they live their life every day, and I can pretty much tell you the things that will ultimately dictate the desires of their heart. What is it that actually they desire to do in life? And God is calling us to one great desire in life. God is calling us to know him, to actually know the creator of this world, to know the creator of your life, the creator of your soul. Because there's going to come a time when this life will stop. And when this life stops, the only thing that's going to matter is how much you knew him, how well you knew him. And that is Hard for someone who's young to understand. If you're like a teenager, maybe, you know, or even young, early 20s, it's hard to, un- to comprehend this idea because I'm thinking about myself. When I was a teenager, it was like, oh, I'm like Superman. You know, I'm not going to die. I'm not going to just, I'm going to live life forever. And so everything ahead of me was like a breeze. It was like, for sure, not, not a breeze, but it was like eternal. But until, until you get a little bit older and you start to realize, you start to feel little body aches and little things begin to happen. You think, oh, I'm not that, I'm not that immortal anymore, you know? And you start to realize that the only thing that really matters ultimately is how well we know him, how well we know the creator of this universe. And I pray this morning that as you reflect on this, I pray this morning that your hearts are open to understand more and more what is it that God is ultimately calling us to? What is that God ultimately is asking from us? A beautiful opportunity this morning, even this morning, to know him. I want to speak about this idea of knowing God because without knowing God, there's no point ever even, even committing yourself to something like a baptism, you know? Because what does it actually even mean? Like, what is it that God, why is it that God would even bother with something like a baptism, you know? Because at the end of the day, why don't just let Christians be Christians and why do this thing we call baptism? Let me just share with you briefly, let me share with you briefly this idea that God desired and God designed for us that we have baptism. This idea that God says to his people, first I want you to know me. First I want you to come into a relationship with me. First I want you to acknowledge that without me you can't do life, that you have sinned against me and because of this you are separated and to do life like this is only going to be disastrous. Try it. Try it. Go, taste it and see. And if you think it's successful and it's good, good, fantastic. But there's going to come a time in your life, I believe 100%, there's going to come a time in your life where you're going to know the emptiness of these decisions until you come to a place of knowing him, the creator of this universe. And then when he asks people to do this and give their life to him, to commit their life to him, he then says, go and declare it openly, what God has done inwardly. Go declare openly to the world 
what God has done in your hearts. And I tell you the truth, when the church baptizing right at the beginning of time, or the beginning of the church, when the church was doing it, it was no easy thing. I tell you the truth, it wasn't an easy thing, and it wasn't like a big party, let's all get baptized and let's all, get, let's all have a party. It wasn't like that. It was actually quite a risk-taking behavior, if you like. To be actually baptized was a risky thing, because the, the world at that point saw you, and they, they saw that you identified with Christ, and all of a sudden it was like they shunned you, or they excluded you from things. Something's happened in our world today. In some ways, today, the same thing is happening. More and more, this idea of being baptised is kind of frowned upon. This idea of being baptised is kind of somehow, it's, not, it's, it's shunned a little bit. Because the idea of knowing God is shunned. The idea of knowing God is frowned upon. So it's a test of faith. It's a beautiful test of faith that says, you know what? I am unashamed of the gospel. I'm unashamed of the grace of God. I was lost and he found me. I was in darkness and he brought me to light. Who can say that? And more and more this world doesn't want this light, more and more. But there is still a people who are hungry. There was still a people who want to know him. And so this, it's actually a, a testimony of faith. And only really, it's not for the faint-hearted. Those who dare to get baptized are the brave ones. Are the ones who say, you know what, I don't care what the world thinks. There is a God. There is a God. And he created me, and he saved me, and there's nothing else I can do but to honor him. And if I want to declare this openly, then I will declare it openly through baptism. I will tell the world that I'm a follower of Christ. Amen? And this is, this is the faith of the Christian. This is the faith of the believer. And so what it also indicates and de- declares is that God is still at work. This is not a fairy tale. This is not a, a, a cartoon, an animation where we say, oh, look, this is just kind of a pretty story. No, God is still at work. He is breaking the bonds of sin. He is breaking the addictions of sin. And he's drawing people to himself. And if your heart is broken and you're bound and things are happening that aren't going well in your life and things are going downward because at the end of the day you're choosing a life that is separate from God, then God is calling you to know him and when you do that when you do that it is it continues to be a declaration that god is at work because god is real god's alive god is not dead god hasn't stopped god continues to work but to 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 share a little bit more with you about this idea that god is still at work and that god is moving and drawing people to himself for those who hear for those who hear I want to read from a passage in the Old Testament because I'm convinced, I'm convinced that it's very likely there's going to be people in this room that will hear, but will won't hear. Yeah, that will hear, but will not hear here in their hearts. They will listen, but they will walk away unchanged because they're listening perhaps for different reasons. But if we open our hearts to hear the Word of God and truthfully the Word of God, I believe 100% God is not unjust He will work in your heart because he knows you intimately. He knows exactly what is happening. He knows exactly what you're experiencing. And he knows the depth of your pain and sorrow and sin. He understands that. And he says, come. Come unto me, those who labor, tired, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's his promise. And so he draws you to himself because it's not about knowing me. Who Who am I? Whether you shake my hand or not, you're no loss to you. It's not about knowing ANCF, because who are we? We could be meeting in a shack, doesn't matter. But to know him, to know him this morning, 
is the most important thing. And if you never shake my hand and you know him, I'm the happiest man in the world. Although I like to shake your hand because I like to know you as well too. These are the things of God. These are the things of God. So let's turn, turn with me to Jeremiah in the Old Testament. We're going to read a, pass, a short passage in the Old Testament, Jeremiah, and then I want to read a couple of verses that Jesus spoke himself in the Gospel of John. But we'll start with Jeremiah chapter 9. And uh, I want to share with you something here that God is um, speaking, I believe, to each and every one of us about how we live life and the greatest joy and the greatest purpose in living life. Now, the book of Jeremiah is an interesting one because these, Jeremiah is referred to the weeping prophet. He's, he's a prophet or speaker of God that cried a lot. He didn't cry because he was, um, you know, he, something upset him, like something trivial. He cried because he hurt for the people of God. He hurt because he saw God's people saying they were God's people but living differently. That's why he hurt. That's why any, that's, that's the depth of our pain. When we see people say they believe, but they live like they don't believe. And they're inconsistent with faith. And Jeremiah saw this. He saw a people that was said they knew God. I know God. I'm the people of God. But he saw a people that were saying these things in their mouth, but their heart, they would lie to each other. They would deceive each other. They would speak peacefully with one another. But in their hearts, they would have this thing against them, even though they spoke at peace with one another. You know, it's like, oh, how are you going, man? And, but in their hearts, they were like almost out to get them. They didn't have no peace for them. And I think to myself, wow, how, is that any different to our generation today? Is that any different where, where, where there is this sense of it is, uh, there is a comfortability to lie to one another, a comfortability to deceive one another, a comfortability to kind of act like we're friends with one another, but deep in our hearts there is a resistance towards one another? Is that any different to the world today? And God forbid the church today. And God is calling, God is reminding his people that it's not good enough to say, I know you, God. It's not good enough to say that. There's something greater, more precious, more powerful than just to say, I know God. It's like those people, have you ever had those experiences of those people who, or maybe yourself have had this experience, you've met someone famous, or you've met a celebrity, and out comes your phone and you take a photo, and maybe even you're able to capture that moment with the celebrity, maybe you even take a selfie with the celebrity, and you post it on Instagram, and you feel like you know this person. But this person sees you in the shops tomorrow and have no idea who you are. No idea. Yeah, I took a photo with you yesterday. Sorry, I, I don't know you really. You know? yeah, but, but, but you smiled when we took a selfie together. Yeah, I know, but you know, I do that with everyone. So, so, and, and, you, and you think, oh, you know. But you act like kind of this, this sense of, I know this person, you know, because you've posted this photo with them or you've listened to someone famous or a celebrity. So God's not God like that. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You can tell me. You can even quote Bible verses to me. My question to you is this. Do you really know him? Does he really know you? Does he really know you? And so in the, in the scripture here, God is addressing this issue with his people. And he says to them in verse 23, Right down towards the end of the chapter there, he says this, Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might or his strength. Let not the, let not the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories glory in this, 
that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. And when we know God, we begin to understand a little bit about the things that he actually delights in. And so in this passage here, and the things that he delights in very clearly, he says is this. He says it's righteousness, he says it's judgment, and he says it's loving kindness. These things are far greater than any wisdom, any riches, and any strength can, can uh, weigh up against the things of the Lord. Do we know these things? We know these things because we know God. But in this passage here, God says two things. He says what, I, what, what, he, says, um, what he doesn't want us to do. And then he asks us and he tells us what he wants us to do. He says, this is what I don't want you to do, but this is what I want you to do. Okay? And he makes it really clear with us because that's what God is. God is very clear with us. He doesn't keep us in the dark. He doesn't say to us, you know, have a guess now what I want you to do. No, he says very clearly, you know, I'm your God. I created you. I know you. I understand you. I, I, I tuned you the way you are. And now this is what I'm asking you to do. But in his wisdom, in his love, and in his compassion, he tells us first what not to do. And he says this in verse 23. Let's read it again. He says, I don't want the wise man to glory in his wisdom. I don't want the, I don't want the mighty man to glory in his might. And I don't want the rich man to glory in his riches. And these are very three very interesting things because riches and wisdom and strength are perhaps three things that people love to glory in. They're three things that people love to boast about. They're three things that people find a lot of security in, a lot of purpose in. In a sense, they find their identity in these things. You know, it kind of defines them as people. It kind of, they seek it so much because they think without it, who are they? And it might be more for one person than the other. You might emphasize one more the other in your life. Maybe you're the sort of person who emphasizes all of them in your life. I don't know. But God says, I want you to do something for me. I don't want you to glory in these things. I don't want you to boast in these things. I don't want you to find your identity and your value and your meaning in life to these things that somehow you're who you are because you're so wise or you're so strong or you're so rich. I want you to live life differently. I want you to be brave enough to live life in a way that is defined by God himself and, by not, and not by these things. Because these things capture the heart of men and women because they say to you, you need these things because where is your security going to be otherwise? Where is your confidence going to be otherwise? Where is your purpose and meaning going to be otherwise? This is who you are. You need it because you need to be safe and secure. So go seek these things. At neglect... Of knowing God. It's like a man who says to you, guess what? A very smart man who says, guess what? I have built the most skillful of boats ever. Intelligent, sophisticated, scientifically proven. I've built it and I've spent years doing this. And I'm going to travel the world with this highly skilled boat that's been built out of a highly skilled mind. <laughs> okay. So he travels, he goes to travel this world because he thinks to himself, this is the best thing. And halfway around the world, he doesn't realize, and he's boasting, and he's posting, and he's, he's doing all these things. He doesn't realize a crack starts to emerge under his boat. And as he, as he boasts about how intelligent and scientifically sound this boat is, his boat's filling with water. Not realizing that he's coming to a place of destruction. 
Oh, sure, it's, it's, it's skillful. Sure, it's, it's sound scientifically. Sure, it makes sense. You know, he's a very wise, intelligent man, but at the end of the day, his life is deteriorating. He's coming to the end of his life. And it takes someone brave enough to say, Stop, stop. These things won't save you, these things won't rescue you. Or another man who decides he wants to find gold and he goes digging for gold deep into the earth and he digs and he digs and he digs and he goes meters into the earth and he finds speckles of gold and he gets excited and he shouts out, I found something and he's only finding little speckles but he's excited. So he keeps digging and digging only to, not, to, not to realize that the soil above him is about to collapse. He's compromised the earth and it's about to collapse on him. And all the glory of how what he's found after years of and tears of digging, sweat, digging and finding speckles of gold, not realizing that it's about to collapse all on him. And he needs someone brave enough to yell deep into the earth and say, get out, get out, because these things won't save you. Get out while there's time. And so God asks us first what not to do. He says, I want you to stop. You need to stop making the great desires of your heart the things that can't save you, the things that can't break the addictions of sin, the things that can't restore your relationships, the things that can't give you meaning and purpose in life. You've got to stop these things. Stop boasting and glorying in things we call riches, we call wisdom, and we call strength. Because you can get wiser And you can get stronger in life and you can get richer in life. But at the end of the day, they cannot take the place of God. They can't. Because who you are by God's design. And God understands. God understands you're a people who need security. God understands we're a people who need value and meaning. God understands all that. But by our very design, at the very core of the way God's designed us, The place that we find salvation, that we find freedom, that we find peace at the very core of our very design does not fit riches, wisdom and strength, but fits the blood of Jesus, the life of Christ, the the one who's committed to following him, the one who's committed to giving everything to him. Now, it's easy to say, but it's another thing to do. Because to know him isn't just to know this, but it's to give your life completely to him. It's like the one who can say to you, I know money doesn't make us happy, but they live inconsistently. They live like money does make them happy. I know know strength isn't isn't the the, the whole purpose to life, but they live like that's the only thing they're living for. And at the end of the day, God is calling us not to pursue these things because the Bible says that where our treasure is, that's where our heart is also. But God is calling us to a simple faith that says this, put me first, love me above all these things, taste me and see that I am good, allow me to give you everything you need. I'll tell you the truth, who's, who's a richer person? Listen to this, who's a richer person? The person who has everything that they want, that they think they want, or the person who knows the God, who knows everything they need before they even do? Think about that for a moment. Who's richer? I'll tell you the truth. I'd rather be the second person. 
I'd rather be the person who knows the God, who knows every single thing I need before I even do. So he says, don't glory in these things. Glory in that you know me. Glory in that you know me. And he goes on to say in verse um, uh, yeah, so verse 24, and let, him, and let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I'm the Lord, exercising loving kindness and judgment and righteousness in the earth. And these, in these things do I delight. Now this is what he wants us to do. Start glorying in these things. Start making the pursuit of life the very things that touch the heart of God. Firstly, to know him and to know the things that God loves. If I ask you this morning, what is your greatest love? What is the thing that you most love in your life? What is the thing that drives you every day? The thing that makes you move every day? The thing you wake up for? The things that, that you pursue each time? At the end of the day, what God is calling us to do, and this is the challenge, is to be able to make Jesus Christ that very thing. To make him the very thing that captures your heart in such a way that everything else seems less. That the church itself is, is, is brave enough to be able to say there is nothing in this earth, there is nothing in this world that can take the place of God. It's all scattered throughout scriptures. The devil, back in the day when Adam and Eve were in the garden, wanted to convince Eve that something could take the place of God. That God somehow didn't want to give them everything. So try something different. Have you ever had that thought? I can't get everything I want in God, so I'll try something different. When Jesus was teaching on this earth, he was teaching quite honestly and quite openly to people. And, and, and he said to his disciples, uh, do you want to go? Because people started to leave him. Do you get that? He's, Jesus is speaking truth and people started to leave. That's not unusual, is it? People will speak truth and people will get up this morning and start to leave without being touched by truth. And people were leaving Jesus. And that's why he said to his disciples, do you want to go also? And they say, I can't go anywhere. Where are we going to go? You've got the words to eternal life. You are life. I'm not going anywhere. There's nowhere in this earth I can go that's going to give me what you give me, Jesus. And the very experience of life is the life that only God can give. So we can know life, but we can know it the way God has it, or we can do it our own way. But I believe it will come to a place of emptiness. So he says, I want you to know me and I want you to know these things that I delight in. Judgment, loving kindness and righteousness. And I believe, brothers and sisters, this morning, that until we come to a place of humility, we will never come to know him the way he wants us to know him. And this word humility is very misunderstood. Even as you listen this morning, some of you will be struggling with this idea of humility. This word humility is very significant because to say that we need to know God and to know him in a way he's asking us to know him requires a man or a woman, a young person, to come to a place of humbleness. Now, humility is not, very simply, it's not thinking higher than what you are, which a lot of people like to do and like to glory in who they are. It's not thinking higher than who you are. It's not even thinking lower than who you are, which is the one people struggle with as well. 
But it's at a place, this beautiful, sweet spot, beautiful place that acknowledges who God is and who you are and your responsibility before him. And at that point, at that very point, God begins to transform lives. He begins to transform lives. And if you think yourself higher than who you are, you'll never experience the beautiful transformation of God. If you think yourself lower than who you are, you'll never experience the transformation of God. But when you come to realise that the only reason you exist, the only purpose that you exist, that your whole relationship with God is what it should be, that you, he is God and you're not, that this is who you are, and you absolutely are dependent on him, God begins to transform. The things you couldn't do, he begins to do. The things you couldn't break in your life, he begins to break. Because you realise and you call out, God, I know who you are and I know who I am. I can't, you can, here I am. We call that salvation. We call that the grace of God. Working in our hearts who really can never transform ourselves. So we fast forward, we fast forward and we see the hand of God working in his people's lives, trying to communicate to them all the time that they need to know him. And then Jesus comes, how beautiful the Lord Jesus, he comes and by his very life, people are drawn to him, they are drawn to him. And I imagine they are drawn to Jesus because he has this beautiful way of communicating grace and truth. He has this beautiful way of being very open about what the things of God are, yet so inviting to himself as well. I was sharing with some, some children the other day that how, how God is, how Jesus must have been so, um, so uh, warm that children wanted to run to him. You can just imagine. They're bolting out of the house in the morning. I want to go see Jesus. And they were, they were running to Jesus because he must have had this capacity to have made them feel so welcomed. And yet they became an annoyance for the disciples. And the disciples were like, no, stop. Don't go. To, he's a busy man. Don't go to Jesus. He's very, very busy. You know? And, and you could imagine Jesus would have been horrified. <laughs> what are you talking about? Don't come to me. You know, don't come to me because they're children. They're, they're, I love these. I love them. Don't stop them. Let them come to me because these make up the kingdom of God. So you can imagine the children probably walking past the disciples thinking, see, I can see Jesus, even though you're trying to stop me. And they would have come to Jesus and he would have embraced them because this is who he was. But I reckon, I believe it was the same with the adults. There was only one person, there was only one group of people who struggled to experience the warmth of Jesus. And they were the ones that were proud at heart. Did you know that? The ones who were proud at heart, the ones who gloried in themselves, the ones who gloried perhaps in their wisdom, yeah, the religious leaders of the day, the ones who gloried maybe in their riches or their strength, they are the ones that struggled to experience the warmth of Christ. But I tell you the truth, when you experience the warmth of Christ, it brings you to tears. It brings you to tears. Because what you begin to understand is how unworthy you were and how gracious he is. And so Jesus draws people to himself. Not because you're good, because of the goodness of God. He draws them. He says, come to me. And so in his, in his capacity to speak grace and truth into the lives of people, he says a few things. I want to I sort of uh, wrap up with these verses. He says a few, few things here. Uh, in, in, in John 10, he says, you don't need to turn to it. In John 10, he, he says, and this is for us to be able to know the joy, our joy and purpose of living. Because our joy and purpose in living is not 
in what we achieve ourselves. Though it is good to achieve and it is good to have goals and it's good to set ourselves uh, a plan in life. That's, they're all okay things, but, but, but the joy and purpose of living is to know him. And Jesus says this. He says, I am the good shepherd. Listen. He says, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep. And he says, and I am known by my own. How beautiful is that? The God who spoke boldly in Jeremiah, the God who spoke through Jeremiah in the Old Testament is then manifested in the flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ, and says this, I am the good shepherd. I am the one who's absolutely committed to my people to the point that if any danger comes their way, I am there for them. He says, you know what? I know them. They're mine. I get them. They're mine. And he says, and they, I am known by them. They're not people who just say they know me. You know, go to church and they sing a song and they read a Bible verse occasionally. They know me. They live for me. They obey me. They follow me. They, they give up everything else when it gets in the way of their relationship with me. This is to know him. And he says that I'm known by my own. And then he says here this in, the, in a few verses down, the, down from there. He says that my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither any shall snatch them out of my hands. I don't know. You want life? He says, they hear my voice and they follow me. He says, I give them eternal life. You want life? The greatest gift of life is eternal life. The greatest gift is to know him and to know him for eternity. You really want life? Then now's the time to know him. Now's the time to follow him. And look at this. You want security? Listen to this. You want security? He says, and, and, and they shall never perish. Are you seeking security? Yes, they shall never perish. Neither shall any snatch them out of my hand. Are you going to be safe? Absolutely. Are you going to be secure? Absolutely. Are you going to, can you walk with confidence knowing this is the God who's constantly looking over you, protecting and working in you to establish life the way he wants it, he wants it to be? Oh, we can have all the plans in the world, but you without knowing life. We can have all the goals in the world without knowing life. We can achieve all the things in this world without achieving life. And he says, you know what? The people who know me and follow me, I will give them eternal life and they'll never perish and they'll be forever secure. They follow me. That's what people do when they love God. That's what people do. They follow him. Now, I want you to think about something. I don't want you to think about the person next to you and think to yourself, they need to hear this. I don't want you to think about the person in front of you and think, oh, I'm glad they're here today. I want you to consider for a moment you. Are you who Jesus says you ought to be in this passage? To know him and to follow him above all things 
and at all cost and all expense to follow him. Above all wisdom and above all riches and above all strength to follow him. Above everything else that gives you identity and security and meaning and value in life, to follow him, to put him first. Yes, even if people laugh, even if people shun, even if people exclude, even if people turn around and call you names, to follow him. And Jesus says, if you do this, that you'll never perish and neither will anyone snatch you out of my hand. Because to know him is the greatest joy and the greatest purpose in life. But I want to pray for us this morning. I want to pray and remind us this morning that the greatest joy and the greatest purpose is what God is most interested in and that is what is operating at the core of our being and that is to know him with all of our heart and to follow him with all of our heart. Father in heaven, I want to thank you, Lord, for this morning. You are a good God, a very, very good God. You know our needs before we even know them. And because of this, Father, we can trust not in the things that we have and the things that we achieve, but we can trust in the living God who knows us before the time and knows us at the end of time. Father, we thank you that if we follow you, Lord Jesus, we have eternal life, that we are secure and no one can snatch us out of your hand. What a blessing, Lord. Lord, we give you our heart. We give you our life. We thank you for this morning. We pray for anyone who does not know you that they may see the emptiness of this decision, the dangers of this decision, that they may come to a restful faith in Christ. Father, I pray your blessing be upon them. For those who know you, that they may continue to be strengthened to avoid and deny the lies of the enemy that says that joy and purpose is found in other things other than a faith in you. Strengthen our faith, Lord. How wonderful you are, Lord. May all glory be to you, in Jesus' name. Amen.